A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to All Rather Mysterious, the podcast that aims to unlock the mysteries of the past with the key of fact. My name is John Rain. My name is Eleanor Morton. My name is David Reed. Please join us as we present to you mysteries that have baffled the world. You had any noises? What about um, a door creaking? Uh, no, uh, you don't have to do that. That weird kadunk that yeah, lights going off makes for some reason in films. <laughs> All Rather Mysterious. The following podcast is a member of the Great Big Owl family. to Out of Character, a podcast about sketch and character comedy. My name is Alex Lynch. In this show, I chat to writers and performers from the world of sketch and character comedy, find out what made them venture into it, talk about their characters, maybe meet some of their characters, and just generally shoot the breeze and, more importantly, have a laugh. My special guest for this 10th episode, and also our last episode in the series, is writer actor and character comedian Kieran Hodgson. Welcome. Hi. Gosh, I, I didn't realise the pressure would be on in terms of it being <laughs> the uh, yeah, hitting double figures episode. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Well done on, on getting this far. Uh, I'm currently in the early stages of uh, my own development of a podcast and uh, the idea that I will ever reach the 10 ep mark is um well an impossible dream at this point so i'm full of admiration for you alex thank you very much well i mean it's the same as i felt when i started i you know i, I didn't think i'd get past one episode it's been a wonderful time for people to upskill i believe is the the term is that the term yes it's 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 what you do when um yeah you have time on your hands and you wish to make yourself more employable and i think uh that, that probably covers quite a few people <laughs> in the arts at the moment so yes. yeah upskilling we're all at it i'm i'm learning welsh how is that going it's going all right you you sort of you teed me up to say something in welsh there didn't you um, <laughs> and i I, bl- I blew it so it's probably a good indicator of how well it's going you uh recently came back from new zealand i did i was lucky enough to go on a great big once-in-a-lifetime style trip there. Mm. And uh, it was going to be from January till April. And towards the end of the trip, uh, this happened. And (laughs) again, we were lucky enough that we were at my cousin's house at the time when the lockdowns blew in. And he was able to put us up um, for a few weeks. Uh, And mercifully we were able to do uh, a great many of the things that we had planned to do and see uh, so much of that wonderful country before uh, the world stopped yes then it was followed by a slightly strange five weeks of suburban cul-de-sac living in a place called Rotorua which could not have been more different from the hiking and canoeing bonanza that had preceded it oh wow but we got very familiar with New Zealand's equivalent of the one show oh yeah she's called Seven Sharp because it's on at Seven Sharp with uh, (laughs) Hillary and Jeremy and uh, we caught up on Neighbours which is on every day at 6.30 So we became very domesticated. After being quite rugged outdoorsmen, we then became very domesticated and then we came home and became even more domesticated because we live in a flat that doesn't have a garden. So we're up here in a little attic stuck inside 23 hours a day. And that's been the last six months for me. But obviously there are many people who are far, far worse off. So uh, it's, yeah, been pretty decent, I would say. You were were working on a new show weren't you a new solo show i was yes that was uh, going well the plan was to um get some stuff together before christmas 2019 and then have this um 
trip to New Zealand and then come back and uh, and start footering around on that. Yeah. So it's all still there. There's a Word document with uh, preview show 12th of December 2019, and that is as that's as far as I got on it. Yeah. So it's it's, yeah. it's there, ready to go. I've forgotten all the words and uh, and things, but it it was going all right, and I can't wait to resurrect it and um and, and get it out in front of people and um and build up for edinburgh 2021 I, I i imagine a lot of people are similar to me in that uh we're setting our sights on that as the the grand reopening maybe that's going to prove foolhardy i don't know you are and as we established before an actor writer performer character comedian impressionist and you're a musician jack of all trades jack of all trades very much so which sort of came first when you started out like were you already doing music was acting your first love like how did you sort of weave all these together these skills uh it was impressions first and it was impressions of the teachers at school i know that's the most creaking cliche around but that's the (laughs) truth i'm afraid um so yeah it was impressions um it was doing impressions of things that i'd seen on telly um, things from Red Dwarf and The Simpsons and Harry Enfield and Faulty Towers recreated um, on the playground at school and then doing impressions of teachers and of politicians of the late 90s and that kind of coalesced <laughs> into a little routine which was, was my, like my first character comedy routine was my year seven high school talent show set which was about 10 minutes and it was the six o'clock news and uh i did an impression of moira stewart no no blackface i hasten to add <laughs> uh, just with a voice so i did moira stewart was reading out yes. the news and she was like the prime minister tony blair oh that's so, good and then it would go over to tony blair and then it would go over to william haig and um uh charles kennedy and and uh people like that so that that was my first character comedy routine and then I, I bulked it up because there were some impressions but then there was also just a bit which was and some accents so there was a story about like it was like it was I was blessed like 11 years old writing a routine and it was like and um, let's go to the weather and I think in Texas it's gonna be hot <laughs> it's like yeah it's gonna be hot here in Texas and then it's like, but in Scotland, it's going to be rainy. And then a Scottish, but and so forth. So this is my excuse for doing accents of the world. I mean, it's quite an ingenious way to bring in accents, a weather report. Well, <laughs> watch this space. It'll be there in that <laughs> end of 2021 show again. But it was pretty uh, decent routine, I suppose. It it, uh, it was better than many of my later routines in that there was a clear idea behind it that people could follow. And um, yeah, it, uh, well, well, I won the talent show and so that was a big kind of thumbs up from the world to say um yeah doing your silly voices and your impressions is uh, is gonna make people enjoy it yeah what a weird sentence so character comedian was definitely what you you'd always kind of wanted to go down that route or was it sketch first like you were in a sketch group weren't you i was so when uh when the time came to do all this properly uh i was in a, a sketch group at uni and that was the first time i'd ever had to really write for other people and uh i think a sign of my success at that was the fact that i wrote loads of monologues for myself yeah and then i was in a a sketch group called kieran and the joes with three other guys jojo and tom for uh, a few years uh three of us on stage me and two joes and then tom was our kind of head writer and producer and sort of all around um yeah the the power behind the throne so tom wrote sketches that you performed yes you all write together we all we all wrote together um sometimes uh very harmoniously sometimes less harmoniously (laughs) i think it was fair to say that with four people uh involved in the process and involved in creating something that was it was not even a sketch show uh in the strictest sense it was always a um a faux seminar which is i think a fairly common edinburgh show format these days and it it certainly wasn't original when we were doing it but um (laughs) you know we came out as motivational speakers and the whole show that you watched was just a series of activities that we were doing with the uh, audience and some of those were sketches by another name but um it was uh, a concept from beginning to end as it were so you couldn't just plop in 
random sketch ideas in the same way as a pure sketch show, I guess. It was a sort of flowing narrative. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, we were we were trying to think all the way through. And that sometimes allowed space for one of Kieran's funny voices. And I was very grateful <laughs> for those opportunities. The first time I did a solo show, yes, I remember just being really keen on breaking out of that. And so I did 24 random characters in an hour. I was like, wow. these, these Kieran and the Joes shows done with these really clever writers that I work with, rubbish. I don't want their, <laughs> their structure and their narrative and their stuff that makes sense. I just wanted to, uh, uh, like, all my different voices. And as a result, the show uh, called Supervillain was uh, a real mess. And uh, audiences didn't come. And when they did, they didn't like it. But uh, my my God, it was a good demo reel for Kieran's accents of the world again. <laughs> As I say, I had these friends, Jojo and Tom, who were who were taking the act of writing very seriously and uh, reading books about how to structure things and how to do things properly. And I was getting rid of that. But one of them did suggest uh, when I said, oh, I'm going to do a solo show. They were like, oh, well, what's the idea behind it? I said, well, there is no idea. That's the thing that's going to blow people's minds. Right. And, said, and, and one of them said, well, how about, for example, um, you're in a town... And uh, there's like a crime wave in the town. And then maybe there's um, some sort of vigilante or something like that. I can't can't remember where the idea came from. So then that was put in the blurbs, put on the flyers, and there was not a sniff of it in the actual show. And so the reviews that I got zeroed in quite rightly on the fact that uh, they had been sold a rogues gallery from uh, a town blighted with uh, crime and misdemeanour. And instead, they just got um, a Scottish sculptor character (laughs) or um, a vicar whose cats died. And um, so it uh, it didn't hang together. It just had a name. And, sure. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like many in Edinburgh show, I'm sure the name oh, bore yeah. no relation to uh, <laughs> what was up on the stage in the Voodoo rooms every day at one thirty in the afternoon. So then, uh, having done that, when you came back the next year, had you learnt from your mistakes? Too much. You've told me this story before, but I think it's just fascinating. Yeah, I I read I read those reviews. I'm one of those people. I'm too. I'm yeah, massive kind of egomaniac and all that so I do read the reviews I know I shouldn't and and, and what have you but uh, it's it's a sickness so I read the reviews and uh, I they they said um, it's this bag of bits it's a it's confusing it's uh, doesn't go anywhere and I was like right you want an idea do you want a story do you want a structure do you I'll give you the most story and structure you've ever seen so then I came up with a show that was all about a town and it got flooded and the show was called Flood. And the narrative was so convoluted, so obscure. And it ended up that I, I was going to tell the story of this town and the time it got flooded through various eyewitness accounts from different people in the town, i.e. different characters that I was going to do. And in my head, this made perfect sense here's this character, they'll give you this little snapshot. Here's another character, they'll give you this little snapshot. But without the important step of a narrator to say, this is what you're going to see tonight, ladies and gentlemen, or this show is about a town that gets flooded. Instead, I just walk out onto the stage with this big hat and a load of shopping bags uh, as this um, very flustered uh, lady. And we're off from there. And the the show, which I thought was great, the first version of it was like an hour and 45 minutes. It ended with a load of ghosts of the characters that we'd seen in the show coming back to haunt one of the other characters much later because it was revealed that um, this old-timey character 
who'd kind of been bookending the show, turned out that he had actually been the Scottish vicar who was um, throughout the show. And it turned out that the Scottish vicar had actually uh, been the one who um, caused the flood by breaking the dam. But this was told to us by uh, an eyewitness account from someone else. And then in flashback, the uh, older version of the Scottish vicar, who's now become this old Yorkshire man, um, says how sorry he is about this. And then the ghosts of all the other characters come back to forgive him. And... I thought that made perfect sense. And uh, my, my very supportive friends smiled and, and clapped and uh, thought it was all right. And then, yeah, I'd already gotten started in Edinburgh doing it. And um, my agent, who doesn't pull her punches, and um, I think it's an admirable quality, which I don't. I, I'm a real um, punch puller. She said it, it is very confusing and it doesn't really read and the audience is completely lost. And so I had to re-engineer the show kind of five days into Edinburgh. And I oh sort of rewrote it in the morning and, and learnt it in the afternoon and then went out and did this new version that evening. And it, and it was much better. But even then, the setup was crazy. It was, um, it was this guy's uh, wife's wedding anniversary, no, birthday. And for it, her husband had organised a load of their friends to come round and recreate through monologues what happened in the flood. I mean, come on. <laughs> Meet the audience halfway, Kieran, in 2013. For crying out loud. Um, wow. So it was, yeah, so that was a fun experience. And, you know, two of the reviews were good, two of the reviews were bad. It felt, again, that I'd made some sort of step forward. Uh, was it in the right direction? I don't know. But uh, yeah, we, we'd moved slightly on from just here's all the voices I can do. But there was not the, the writing skill at all to back that up. Even though, as you say, it didn't quite work out the way you wanted, do you still feel it was valuable experience in terms of helping you find how you wanted to do your shows and how you wanted to ultimately tell them? Of course, yeah. Hopefully, in an ideal world, that's the, the thing that's great about Edinburgh is that it's this non-curated festival where anyone can turn up and do a show and and do a bad show or do two years mm. of bad shows do three years of bad shows through which you learn how to get better and at the end of it you can put on uh, a show that that is a step up and hopefully again in this ideal world uh that will yeah. get picked up on and that will transform things for you i think um that the problem is that um money-wise Edinburgh, as it is at the moment, excludes a lot of people and means that they can't have two or three years going up and getting better because they have to sort of put uh, a lot of a year's worth of income yeah. on the line for, for one year, for one show. And if that doesn't go well, they think, well, I'm not going to come back next year and do it again because I've lost a lot of money and it's very difficult. And so um, I was very... Uh, again, lucky in that I, I could have the mistake years and the mistake years are what's brilliant about Edinburgh because if I had had to audition those shows for, yes. a, you know, an artistic director of a theatre, I'd be <laughs> chucked out, you know. To have that, I mean, the money and the stamina and the ideas to kind of keep coming back every year, but to have to suddenly rewrite a show five days in, I mean, I can't imagine the stress you were up there doing the show and suddenly you had to completely... It, it, it was a tough 24 hours. It was, um, as they say these days, suboptimum. But <laughs> the, again, this goes back to what I said about the beginning about how doing something live is superb for your creativity in some ways because there's no escaping it once you're booked in. And I was there in Edinburgh. I had another three and a half weeks to go mm. and as I often find myself saying to myself in uh, June or July the only way out of this is through it yeah so I could either do this confusing not very good version of the show or I could um, change it as best I could and come up with something that was going to be performable for that remaining time because I've seen friends of mine stuck with a show that you know, with the best will in the world, isn't quite there, isn't quite ready. Sure. And it's extremely demoralising to know that about a show 
And indeed, I, I knew it about my 2012 show, my first one. I knew a week in that it wasn't good enough. And yet every day I had to kind of get my uh, pecker up and go out there and, and do it with this sort of doom <laughs> in the back of my head. Sure. So yeah, it was it was a case of um, rewriting it isn't going to be fun, but uh, the alternative is even worse. If you had to isolate with any TV comedy character, who would it be? Crichton from Red Dwarf. Wow. Because he'd, he'd look after me, <laughs> keep the flat immaculately clean, he'd be very respectful, and um, he'd be really interested in learning about the human experience, and uh, I'd, I'd be happy to um, hypothesise with him as to what the human experience might be like. I'm amazed how quickly you threw that out there. Normally it gets a loss of uh, umming and ahhing, and you just, you just knew. I thought possibly Niles Crane, but actually he'd be insufferable. Someone has said him. I think this is a good moment to uh, have a retrospective on the, how the f- first nine <laughs> people have voted. Twice people have said Liz Lemon. Yeah. And twice people have said Ron Swanson. Right. Mm. Do they like him for his uh, common sense um, attitudes, or do they just find him reassuring? I think it's more a case people of... People find him quite sexy, don't they? I mean, that, that wasn't... I mean, yeah. I just outed myself. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the. Um, I think it was just the fact that because they'd be out in his cabin, completely isolated, and because he is very much kind of lone wolf, I think they feel like. Oh, you get the domicile as well, do you? See, I was imagining that they would have to be here in Wood Green. It could be wherever you like. You could hang out with Crichton in Wood Green, or you could be on on Red Dwarf. Yeah, you could be on Red Dwarf. All five miles of it. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I tell you that that'd be. Lockdown project going round <laughs> Red Dwarf. It's such a massive ship. You know, it would it would take many many months to do a really decent survey of it. And mm. um, as a kid, I found it fascinating all the uh, little nooks and crannies that the writers would invent to 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 fill up the huge space that they had created in terms of Red Dwarf's dimensions. So I would I'd love to have the chance to do that IRL. Yeah, take me to Red Dwarf. <laughs> If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Scott Hancock and I host From Queer to Eternity, a new podcast exploring what it means to be queer, where we have conversations like this. I look at younger generations and go, you can just Google this stuff. The fact that the only mention of queerness was don't get AIDS. If I'd been marrying a girl, that would not have happened. Maybe we can find a, a universality that, that we weren't aware of before. That's why this podcast's so great, because actually, well, I guess we just don't think to speak of this stuff, and yet it's part of our fabric. From Queer to Eternity, available to listen to now from the Great Big Owl Company. 
and so the next the next time you came back this was with french exchange right yeah so it was a, a happy medium i guess i had a, a long chat with quite a few people um yes. i i wrote these little <laughs> i wrote these little reports i would um at the end of the month i would be so angry about how it had all gone that i would write a little evaluation of myself and of the show writing down um what had worked well what hadn't and you know suggested avenues for the future and i wrote one of those after flood and supervillain and then i had chats with friends and my friend ben Tarjay, um just said something about we were talking about uh, we were on a podcast interview actually funnily enough oh, really and i said something about um t- talking to my younger self my teenage self and what would you say to him i think was the question and i i was quite severe uh, about my feedback to my teenage <laughs> self and um ben just said oh that's that's an interesting concept uh, that dialogue and you're quite um merciless attitude that you have towards previous versions of yourself and he followed this up with a comment about how the best comedy shows and the ones that appeal most to people are ones that have an element of truth to them where you as an audience see something that is real about uh the act and so this all um fermented into right characters plus something that's real about me plus a story that holds it all together and then I did a show, um, which turns out I'd gone all the way around the houses and invented something that has existed for ages, which is a one-man show, an autobiographical, <laughs> like, again, existed for decades, and it sort of took me ages to um, arrive at it. Um, so it was a show called French Exchange that was about me as a teenager going on the French Exchange trip in 2003, and all the characters were people more or less from real life, uh, that I had known at school or on the trip. And uh, it had a beginning, which was uh, hearing about the trip, a middle, which was going on it, and an end, which was coming back from it. And uh, it provided a much-needed dose of simplicity and emotional connection. And people liked it way more. Friends no longer felt obliged to come to see my <laughs> show. They actually wanted to, I think, from then on. But it's interesting, because I know you kind of say, oh, it took me ages to discovered that this was a one-man show you know yeah they do them in the states all the time it's like a standard thing that people in drama school do but it's i i I don't think you should like put yourself down for that because you've now built up this very distinct recognizable style yeah that's a problem i feel not everyone can do which is being able to tell a story and weaving through these characters not in a kind of way that's we have a blackout and then we have a character set and then we go back to the narrative and then we have another character like you tell this story and just effortlessly both physically and in voice change into these characters in a way that's not it doesn't jar the audience it doesn't confuse people it's very clear what the story is and it's also because at the forefront it's you telling it a personal story like as you say you've mixed a character's and emotional connection in a way that I don't see many people doing and especially like doing well, <laughs> put it that way. It's, I think it's a very, it's something that because it's sort of taken you those shows and those years of sort of finding what works for you. I don't think anyone could really come along and just be like, I'm going to do that type of show and just immediately do it without having those experiences of Edinburgh and doing shows and working with other people as well as working uh, on your own. Well, all of that is very, very kind of you to say. I milked it for all I could and um, <laughs> I guess continuing to do so. So after I sort of found that formula or, you know, copied that formula or what have you, um, I did a bunch of other shows in a similar style with different subject matters, different uh, different coming of ages, <laughs> comings of ages, I guess you would say, in my life. Good evening, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um... As coach, you know, uh, I suppose it falls to me tonight to say a few words about the absolute lunatics that <laughs> it has been a pleasure and a privilege to share the river with this sub. Uh, not all of them had even rode before coming to uni. Not ideal, I know, but hey, there is a state education sector and there are going to be gaps. The interesting question for me, uh, as it currently stands in 2020 
at this stage in my creative life is adapting that and making sure not to repeat myself and not just trot out the same old uh, format that uh, I've been using for a solid five years now, or six years in fact, and do something that is new whilst at the same time not getting rid of strengths of mine that will be uh, perennial, (laughs) I suppose. And I feel you've done that because, for example, you look at uh, Lance you look at your childhood and your and your heroes and wanting to kind of change change your story essentially but then you come on to maestro where you suddenly introduce that you have this amazing knowledge of music and this musical skill and then with 75 you then introduce this knowledge of politics you have like each time you are you're revealing more about yourself yeah but i'm running out of i'm running out of skills i'm running out of <laughs> running out of hobbies to you know like crowbar into uh, a story yeah i'm i'm only half joking there and that's certainly the case uh, for kieran maverick hodgson over here um kieran's a little bit different from you and me uh, kieran's apparently from somewhere called the north um <laughs> But no, 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 no. He's, he's, he's a funny man, not me. Uh, a gifted mimic. I've no doubt that even as I speak, he'll be making a note of all my mannerisms and the things that I say. And that <laughs> Years from now, he'll find a way of entertaining people with them long after we've lost contact. I think it's good for a show to be about something. And I much prefer, I guess, instinctively uh, to talk about a topic than to talk about myself because um, I guess I, I have quite a few self-esteem issues. I'm not, I don't really find myself particularly interesting or funny, but I do find things in the world interesting and funny. And that's why I'm, I'm quite a, a hobbyist um, really. And I'm you know, really into trains and, and history and politics and music and all that kind of stuff. And I, yeah. I want to put those in a show, but just doing an hour about trains or just doing an hour about politics um, is relatively dry. I'm always on a quest to find the perfect new subject matter, music or cycling or what have you, plus the perfect personal tale that can blend with it pretty seamlessly, plus some fun characters, because that's what people are here for. They want to laugh. And my latest show, 75... Uh, took two years to try and get that right. So I was like, I'm really interested in the 70s, but that's not a comedy show. And then, you know, Europe was something everyone was talking about. And then it was a matter of where's the personal story there? And in the end, I kind of had to make a personal story up, (laughs) uh, which is a bad, bad sign. I made the point of the show the fact that I've made it up because um, that was a good get-out clause. But you can't keep on making up personal stories to justify. So I, I, I am a little anxious about that and I'm a little wary of that. I don't want to um, put too much of my own biography into shows because I like the idea of having relationships with people that aren't always uh under the sword of damocles of will he put it in the show though has anyone made you think that oh yeah really well, i went through this phase of um bringing back not bringing back to life they're not dead <laughs> sorry <laughs> of depicting in my shows a load of mates from school and the thing is i'm still friends with a lot of my mates from school right so I'd go home and all of a sudden there was fairly friendly blowback but blowback nonetheless about oh make sure you don't say anything or do anything in front of kieran anymore because it'll end up in one of his shows and this was all said you know with a with a smile and everything but it did make me feel a little bit um guilty uh, Mm. uh, about it it's a throwaway comment that does kind of cut deep yeah well i just i i'm really cowardly uh, <laughs> both in life and intellectually and my comedy is sort of cringingly non-confrontational and so I would never want to make a show that was victimizing anyone or that was really having a go at someone or that was you know ridiculing someone who I might know and who might then see the show and feel uh, that they had been uh, you know, publicly humiliated. I never want to to make that. So I always try and do loving things. Well, you never punch down. If anything, you're always 
it's you that's the butt of the joke. It's quite right. You're never having a go at them. I know my own faults intimately, and uh, I think it would be very uncharitable to presume that I uh, knew much about the faults of other people. Yeah. So I try and do the voices. That's the main <laughs> thing. Do the, the voices and the mannerisms and... Uh, and and that's usually uh, enough. I'm not in the business of character assassination. I was going to talk about with um, 75, because I never saw the live show, which I'm really gutted about. It was the one show I didn't see. But I did see How Europe Stole My Mum. How was it transitioning that from stage to television? Did it naturally work, or did you have to really rewrite it? Yeah, there were pretty big rewrites, um, inevitably, mostly about budget. Turns out you can't get a load of dancers to recreate a ballet scene from <laughs> West Side Story uh, <laughs> on a Channel 4 comedy budget. Um, so a few pragmatic decisions had to be made in terms of rewriting. I think I was lucky in that what I was bringing was a readily established product, and I was able to point to the success of the live show whenever there was a question of would this work would that work I could say well look I spent two years doing all the research and all the fine tuning on the history and this and the story that I was telling so I think I think we'll stick with it as it is and uh, that was very useful when it came to the adaptation and not having to plead my case very much which is what I think um, you have to do a lot more if the idea is totally untried And the other thing that was handy was uh, the way in which the live show was quite sketchy. And uh, something I try and do in my live shows is that within this big old story that we're going through, um, I feel duty bound to provide some variety and excitement for the audience. So I try within every few minutes to have a little TV parody or a little song or some kind of change of scenery or change of pace. Yes. And having the live show do that um, was not too much of a stretch to um, to copy and paste it into uh, a telly script. So so it was okay. It was okay for that. Of course, the problem is that that is a one-off show. That is... um, a preset Edinburgh experience that has become uh, a one-off thing about very political issue at the time, i.e. Brexit. So it it ain't going to be a sitcom. And the question moving forward is, hmm, how to do more television without spending two years per episode (laughs) doing it as an Edinburgh show? Because that's not sustainable for anyone. (laughs) You've popped up on quite a lot of, uh, quite a lot of comedies you had a role in the Alan Partridge movie and then you had that character you played in Jonathan Creek. Um, yeah, how did how did those come about? Because when I first met you, that was at that Jonathan Creek audition. Wowee. Yeah. That would have been... 2013. In 2013. So I had done Flood and clearly made a lot of waves <laughs> with that uh, in the BBC casting department. No, I think um, like a lot of young people going into comedy you want to have a number of strings to your bow and uh, in the earlier days when I wasn't doing my own solo stuff I was keen on developing an acting career yeah to be alongside and perhaps one day to supersede my comedy interests and so I set about um trying to do a number of auditions and still doing auditions and uh, occasionally being successful, occasionally not. And I was very, very excited to get both of those ones that you mentioned. I mean, the Alan Partridge film was just phenomenal because I had only ever done uh, one live show and it was terrible. So um, I was not in there on my character comedian credentials. It was uh, an acting job that I had managed to uh, obtain. And it was a, a day down in Mitcham uh, getting slapped across the face by Steve Coogan, you know, one of the ultimate character comedians. And so that was uh, that was absolute heaven for me. 
uh, as was going to the the premiere and the uh, the invite said that the dress code was uh, sports casual so oh. i uh, raided the charity shops of north <laughs> london to get um some some like cream golf trousers and uh, a green gilet and uh driving gloves that's wonderful and uh yeah i was at the premiere sat between mark gatis and um julian barrett i think that's so and cool. then there was my scene and he hits me across the face with the uh, glove and everyone laughed and oh i've never had a moment like that uh before or since so that was uh superb that's terrific. I love to do television acting, both comedic. I say both comedic. I mean, just comedic. I've never been given <laughs> a serious, uh, dramatic role on television. But on radio, I've occasionally done more serious things. But that would be something you'd be interested in. Yes, absolutely. We're all trying to be uh, what we're not, I guess. There's that thing of comic actors or comedians just want to be taken seriously. Yeah. And serious actors just want to show that they have a lighter side. And we all wish we were musicians, because <laughs> uh, that's cooler. Because you can play violin, piano, are there others? I don't, yeah, those I are the two. Uh, <laughs> but that's amazing. Like, you're already adding that nah, to Nah, your... you see, I've, I've done a, a, a good job on everyone, whereby I've managed to present what little talent I have... Oh, come in on. ...in a nice enough way <laughs> that it looks more impressive so i've just shown you a little bit and you've all imagined oh well beyond that little bit there must be a a whole land of musical talent whereas in fact there is just a little bit and i've put everything i can into those tiny little segments on the show but that's fine everyone has uh little skills and uh and little bits of knowledge and and what have you and um you you use it you use whatever you can to liven up that show so what you've done there is to add to your repertoire you've added illusionist as another thing that you could do oh charlatan <laughs> liar <laughs> way way too harsh on yourself kieran come down to the south don't be afraid of the south climb out of the coal mine throw off your flat cap there's a thousand prets below the watford gap <laughs> you're always up against the problem i don't know what your uh, previous interviewees have said um I'm sure they're wiser than I am. But you're always up against the problem when you are geeking as a character comedian that most of the other acts will be stand-up acts. And so yes. you have to get over a real uh, gear shift for the audience when you come out with a funny voice or a funny hat on. Yes. And they are no longer asked to laugh at jokes you're making or observations you're making, but at turns of phrase. Mm. And that, um, even with a, a really great switch on audience takes a couple of minutes at least i would say and my earliest gig gigs i don't do that many but my earliest ones were a nightmare because i would come out as the old prospector or what have you yes yeah and would just see these this wall of incomprehension um <laughs> from from the audience and uh, and they were right to uh, to to not laugh and that meant that over the years I developed this little strategy, which was to come out and say immediately, I'm a character comedian <laughs> and I'm going to do some characters. And that helped. Everyone was like, oh, he's one yeah. of those ones. Okay. So we, we, it's turns of phrase, guys. Guys, it's turns of phrase. And um, so th- that that was more important a change for me than, uh, than any uh, bigger socioeconomic or cultural trends, I guess. Um, I think there's still a real appetite for character comedy i just think it's a matter of of where and when yes i did a comic relief gig at the comedy store in manchester and quite scary for me because i was there with experienced stand-ups who knew that kind of environment very well and were able to to thrive in it and i thought right i just need to survive this gig i just need to do what needs to be done and give the stage to uh, to more appropriate action, I say. So I just did my songs. I've got a few in the back catalogue and I felt that a comic song is more gettable for an audience than uh, an amusing character uh, is without proper introduction. So I came out, I did a song, a little bit of a character and then another song and then I left. And I felt that was um, that was all right, actually, as a, as a means of doing it. But uh, to go out in a full character routine in a big several hundred seater stand-up comedy venue oh it's brave i think yeah a very brave thing to do that sounds like a really good balance 
sort of sandwiching something that might be a bit less gettable in between something that is more gettable. For anyone listening, that is really useful to know if they're wanting <laughs> to get into into sort of character comedy, into that scene to kind of know because it is really hard to kind of, especially when you do go to gigs. I definitely made that mistake when I first started doing character comedy of coming on as the character because it's like I'm in character. I'm not telling them I'm a character. They can work yes. that out for themselves. I think that's really. I really wish I'd uh, known that at the time (laughs) yeah unless you have a character that really marks their territory i guess with something that's very big and brassy and attention grabbing but coming out as a quiet character is um it's you know like you're putting all your chips on that uh, i would say especially if brennan reese has just done an absolute killer 10 about the gym and (laughs) the audience is desperate for more brennan reese and they're like why is he left why have we got this other guy coming on and uh and you're like hello i'm a spider that is uh yeah i feel sorry for the audience uh, in that situation because you know they are uh, they are our lifeblood. They've paid their money for us and we, we have to meet them halfway, I think. Uh, this is now the final section of the podcast. It is called Change of Character. Great. Thank Love you. the little little glottal stop there. Thank you. Chain of of character. character. Superb. This name has been gifted to you by Gemma Arrowsmith. Oh, she's wonderful. She was great. And also another big Red Dwarf fan. It's good to know there's still a few of us out there. The name she's given you is Michael the Fury Pearson. Great. Mm, So who is Michael the Fury Pearson? He's a darts player and uh, he had a big moment in the 70s where he was always the, um, you know, the good boy, the goody two-shoes of darts. Yes. And then um, there was uh, an incident in a car park late one night in Swindon, and um, (laughs) someone managed to get an audio recording of it that they sent to the News of the World. And uh, ever since that day well there were big headlines about it and ever since that day he's been known as the fury and he's he's livid about it because um <laughs> um it's, it's well it's a bit like um steve davis i suppose i imagine him talking a bit like uh, a little bit like this uh, people always call me the fury it's you know there was one incident one off you know everyone everyone um you know everyone falls but why do we fall we, you know so we can pick ourselves back up again that's what I've done. That's what I've done in my life. I've reinvented. I've reimagined, and it's um, you know, it, it's funny. You know, I still get booked, and and people, you know, they put it on the post and stuff <laughs> like that. And you know, it, it does, it, it it does sell tickets, and I'm not going to have a go at them for that. But it's um, you know, it's not representative of how I live my life, of who I am, um, and that's um, you know, but it's you know, it's, it's very different. Into you can't really manage people's perceptions, and um, uh, I think a lot of people waste a lot of time and energy in trying to do so. Um, but yes, I, I think he is going to win. I think it's going to be a, a fantastic night for the Dutchman. He's into commentating now. That was the uh, he's into commentating. <laughs> on the end of that. <laughs> so that's what he did after darts. Darts play. He's become a a pundit. Absolutely. Yeah, but he's yeah. Maybe he's not a commentator. He's more of a pundit. He's there in the little lounge in between. Yeah. Uh, in between games. Did he ever try to sort of coin a new nickname for himself that was more? in keeping with his personality. Tiger Shark. Because <laughs> um, no one sees me coming and I'm very, very fast. But um, also there were there was a lot of concern at the time about the um, global population of tiger sharks. They were, you know, there's a lot of headlines about, you know, tuna fishing and, uh, the, you know, the effect that that was having on the tiger shark. So I thought I would seize the moment uh, culturally, as it were. But it was ultimately... Um, unsuccessful as a, as a nickname what's his view on the game now has it changed have the players changed or is it just the same as it always was darts has a soul that is eternal i think it's a flame that's not going to go out and um you know sometimes someone turns up the gas it goes brighter someone turn sometimes they turn it down and it um it, it gets dim but it's still there you know there's always a gas supply and that gas supply is the love of the fans you know, you can put onto it what you want. You can put on the TV coverage and the international sponsorship deals you can get. But, um, you know, you can't change fire. 
you can use it in all sorts of different ways. You know, you can cook a steak on it or you can light a nuclear reactor. Do they do that with fire? <laughs> but the, the fire itself, what we are looking at today is the same that our you know hominid uh, ancestors looked at millions of years ago. And I feel that um, that is darts. That is darts. And does he have a family? Or a companion? What's his? Is he a lone wolf? What? Well, lone tiger shark. Uh, <laughs> I have a I have a lovely wife and three wonderful daughters. And having daughters in my life has really taught me to um, respect women even more. Mm. I did respect them before. Respect always respected them, <laughs> but I respect them even more now. And every year they're bringing back new stuff for me to read, and I'm reading it, and I'm loving it. I'm growing. I'm growing <laughs> more than you can imagine. Is he keen to bring his daughters into the world of darts or would he prefer them to sort of sail away from that? Uh, well, it's, it's a bit late for that. They've been uh, they've been all, all three of them into it since they uh, could pick a dart up, which, you know, I shouldn't have left so many darts lying around the house, but that's, that's another <laughs> thing to talk about another time. Um, but no, they, they love it. They love it. They love it. They've all three of them had fantastic pro careers Short-lived, but fantastic, and uh, they're all uh, into other things now, but um, they will still throw a dart, they will still watch a dart, they will still buy a dart for me for Christmas, which they ought to stop doing, because I, as I say, I've, I've, you know, I'm a professional darts player, I've got way too many. You have a collection of darts? Yeah. Do you not? <laughs> the collection itself is uh, gargantuan. Is it like? Is it like a sort of like you would have with a thimble collection? It's well, it's it's taking up a lot of the space in my mausoleum that I've got built out <laughs> the back on the estate, and one day they'll have to get shifted uh, when it's time for me and uh, and Ailey to go in there. But um, no, for the, for the moment they're they're very welcome and. Um, uh, yeah, I, I I would just wish I had time to use them all. What does he What does he do now? What's his passion? Well, I've always been a little reticent to share this with people because people have funny ideas, don't you, about what what you know what a man of my age uh, can and uh, I, I, I cannot uh, do. I, I do like show jumping. Right. I am on a journey to become a show jumper. But it is, it's a long journey. And if I'm honest with myself, it's a journey, the end of which is bad. <laughs> Just because when you reach my age, there's there's backs to be factored in. There's en- elbows and ankles and uh, various other joints and stuff. And, and horse riding and, uh, you know, horse leaping is, uh, is, is very bad for them. But, you know, when you've got a passion, you've got to live for your passion, haven't you? Absolutely. And, um... I, I, I want to get better before I get catastrophically worse at it. <laughs> it's great. Wonderful. Michael the Fury Pearson. Thank you very much for that. Could you please uh, now reveal the name that you are going to give my next guest? The name of the character I would like you to give your next guest is Ape Tennyson. Ape Tennyson? Yeah. Wow. Ape Tennyson. Who is Ape Tennyson? We shall find out in the next series of Out of Character. In the meantime, it's been wonderful having you. Thank you very much for having me, Alex. I um, am very grateful for the opportunity to drone on in the way that I have. Oh, well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Kieran Hodgson. Ta-ra! Hello, I'm Justin. And I'm Lucy. And together we are the hosts of Plenty Questions. It's a very straightforward general knowledge quiz. We ask you 20 questions, one after the other, five second gap in between, and you shout the answers out. And then you tweet us to let us know how you've got on. See if you can get 20 out of 20. No one has so far, but that's because we haven't started doing it yet. Mm, but we will. Uh, and there's also going to be some fiendish brain teasers, so join us for Plenty, Plenty Questions. questions. 
Let's get this dinner party started.